0: Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt.
1: Welcome everybody to the Generous Business Owners Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas. We have a very special guest with us today, Jonathan Lewis, my good friend. We're coming to you from Halifax, Nova Scotia. First business owner podcast, generous business owner podcast from international. international. Yeah. international. We're international people. <laughs> uh, so thanks for tuning in. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jeff. So Jonathan, just a quick intro. You know, we don't read big bios, but uh, Jonathan's a great friend. He's the founder of Eastport Financial Group here in Halifax and around Canada. He's also the founder of Fathers for Fathers, which is a fantastic uh, new ministry that he started that you're going to hear a lot about. Mm-hmm. So those things are tied together. It is, he lives an integrated life. So it's just going to be fun uh, to, to hear his story today. So mm-hmm. Jonathan, as you know, we always start with just, and this is super important in how this carries through your whole story, but mm-hmm. where you grew up, what your family was like, what, what was growing up like
0: for you? Mm. Well, I'm definitely a native Maritimer, which in Canada... Uh, is what we call anybody from the East Coast. And the real East Coast of Canada is Quebec East. Very often people will say, where are you from? And then they'll say Toronto, oh, Eastern Canada. But for those of us who are truly from the East, that's Central Canada. So I grew up in the Maritimes. I was born in New Brunswick. Uh, my dad was a developer. And um, in the early 80s, Halifax was booming. And it was like it is now. It was what the Right now, it's the fastest growing city in the country. At that time, it was also the fastest uh, growing city, and so Dad moved the family here and engaged in a ton of developments. I think in seven years he built close to ten thousand homes. Wow, including subdivisions and uh, putting roads, like literally acquiring the land the whole nine yards. So, this is funny. Just as a pause, this is my executive assistant putting up <laughs> says "Do Not Disturb" podcast. If she made the cut, so yeah, there she goes. But uh, so that's how we ended up here, you know, and, uh, you know, we started getting into bigger buildings, multi-residential buildings. And uh, yeah, I grew up with uh, two sisters and my mom was, you know, your, your typical stay-at-home mom at that time, because dad had three companies um, heading into the early 90s. Uh, free trade between the US and Canada was huge. And my dad actually started Eastport Distributors, which was his third company. Uh, where he represented U.S. manufacturers to the Canadian marketplace because, for the first time ever, oh. the Canadian marketplace was opening up to American manufacturers like never before with the the North American Free Trade Agreement. So yeah, that's how we got started here.
1: Well, so you have this entrepreneurial background. I know mm-hmm. a lot of the clients that you've brought in over the years in the wealth management business are developers, so you kind of understand yeah. that real estate oh, yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you also had and have maybe this came from your father, you'll have to tell us, but this sort of adventurous spirit, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My wife and I joke that it's uh, the, it's the uh, thrill gene. You either have it or you don't have it. I think you have it. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, so scuba diving, my, all kinds of uh, uh, motorcycles. Yeah. Talk about that part of your uh, life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, one observation I've made is I think every evangelist, <laughs> has a common gene and it's, they're also great entrepreneurs uh, and they tend to like a challenge. And so I would definitely think of myself as an entrepreneur, a thoroughbred entrepreneur. I mean, in my family, if you didn't start a business by the time you were 14, there was something wrong with you and they were sending you for psychiatric assessment. <laughs> so right to passage of my family, we're definitely has this person started their own business, whether it's a Kool-Aid stand or, I mean, I had multiple businesses, landscaping companies that I used to pay my way through university. And then, uh, yeah, definitely an adventurous spirit, which has served me well, uh, like any adventurous spirit, and also can get you into trouble because I don't test the water temperature or the depth. I dive in and find out that it's um, 20 degrees Fahrenheit and only two inches deep. So thankfully, God sent me uh, an amazing wife who tends to temper the break. But I knew she was my person when uh, the first time I took her snorkeling or scuba diving, it was on a shark, shark dive. And Sarah was the first one in the water, and there was a lot of guys talking smack on the way out until they saw 50 dorsal fins. And uh, and that woman since has been in the water with me with tiger sharks, white tips. So, yeah, I grew up diving my whole life. Definitely love motorcycles. You know, got some uh, wonderful injuries in my 40s now that plagued me from a few fender benders and accidents over the years. But, yeah, no, like, love hiking, love climbing. Yeah, I've got an adventurous wife as well. I mean, when she was 23, she finished journalism and announced to her family she was moving to West Africa. I got a job with the uh, newspaper in Accra, in Ghana, and nobody saw her for another year. And wow. uh, so, you know, for her 40th birthday, she said, I want to go back to the desert. And I'm like, like the desert, desert? She's like, yeah. So I, that was a hard sell for me because there was no water involved. No, really. <laughs> right. Either no, wire and crackle because right. it was so dry. But we had a great time.
1: That's it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, normally we kind of go through the business career. We talk about how you use the business platform for generosity and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it comes in different forms, you know, the way you treat your employees, uh, the way you give the money away. Mm-hmm. I know because we know each other so well, I know all that is true for you. Yeah. But you had a very pivotal experience with your father yeah. as a teenager Yeah. that really, you know. I was defining. Uh, that was a defining thing, and I and I think there this is a string that's important in in your story, in in part uh, of how you're helping other. Yeah. And today, yeah. So if I know it's a it's a painful story, but if you don't mind sharing that, a little
0: yeah, no problem. Yeah, if you're going to lead people through trauma and difficult times, you've certainly uh, gained your victory over it. So, um, so yeah, scuba diving, you know, in Nova Scotia, like literally, we're called Canada's uh, ocean playground. We're pretty much surrounded by the ocean on all sides other than a small peninsula that connects us to Canada. And, um, and the beaches here, apart from not having palm trees, are, are luxurious. And so for Nova Scotians, uh, it's never more than an hour's drive to any part of the ocean on our, in our province because it's long and it's narrow. And so it was, it's like cultural. Um, yeah. And I grew up with my dad and my mom diving. I was skid diving you know, uh, by the time I was 10, 11 years old. You know, got very good at holding my breath and uh, very comfortable in the ocean. And obviously, we're not talking about the Bahamas; we're talking about the North Atlantic Ocean, uh, which is unforgiving and cold. But uh, my dad, in uh, 1991, you know, my mom and dad, uh, you know, they were having some difficult times. And I think the the fact is, dad was a workaholic, and it was it was affecting the home life. And you know, my dad grew up very poor. Um, you know, his, his his father was a uh, World War II vet who saw some terrible things, you know, really fighting his way up the Italian boot uh, under the British forces uh, alongside the Americans. Yep. And he came back like many vets where, you know, we didn't recognize PTSD. So, drinking became the, the theme Medication, Yeah, they'd go to the Legion. The Canadian right. Legion is where these guys found their bond. and But that also found its way into the home. And so, yeah. my dad, you know, grew up with that. Uh, he had a real aversion to alcohol because of that into his adulthood but uh, what he did do is he worked. My dad was determined that his family was not going uh, to have the same experiences that, that he experienced growing up. And, uh, and the drawback to that was, is I always coveted my dad's time and, and so did the rest of the family, my sisters and my mom. And, uh, and so they had this kind of pivotal moment in their marriage when I was 13, 14, heading into my 15th year of life, where I knew dad was trying to, you know, sort of write the shit. Right. And he was getting reacquainted with God. You know, mm. we, we were a Christian family for all intents and purposes, albeit probably culturally. Yeah. And um, uh, I'll never forget Father's Day, uh, which would be the week before June 22nd, 1991. Uh, the pastor of the church that we were attending, you know, preached an amazing sermon on fatherhood. Wow. And I remember that sermon. Wow. I'm wow. talking 32 years ago. Wow. And my dad, I did the old, you know, Fourteen year old boy, sort of looking out of the corner of his eye, mm-hmm. and just turned fifteen uh, to see if dad responded because there was literally the raise your hand uh, call if if you want to respond to this and and own it. And my dad did. Oh my gosh! Uh, so this is twenty second. So we're talking like the fifteenth of June, nineteen ninety one. So the next weekend we were a big baseball fan. I played competitive baseball for you guys would call it our your state, but for us it was our province. Oh. Uh, competitively had played, you know, at the national level. Dad played a ton of ball. Baseball is a big thing. My dad, you know, was living vicariously through his son because he didn't get these opportunities. And uh, he announced to the family, we're not doing baseball this weekend. Mm. I'm calling your coach. Uh, anybody who's got kids in competitive baseball knows well. You don't do that. You don't do that. <laughs> exactly. I uh, don't know if you want, if you want, if you <laughs> want to play <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. yeah. And so we didn't do baseball. He had a doubleheader. I had a doubleheader. Oh. And he said, we're renting scuba gear. We're going to take the day off. We're going to spend time at the beach as a family. Now, I wasn't certified as a diver, so you can tell where this is probably going. My mom was, and they did a dive together, you know, uh, in a beautiful place not far from here. I actually took you yeah. there yesterday. Beautiful. And uh, uh, the second dive, mom did want to go. We'd had lunch, and dad said, well, I'll go with Jonathan, and he can free dive, put on a weight belt. Uh, I don't mind admitting, like, I would dive down 30 feet, take a suck off his emergency regulator or his octopus. So I'd stay down, you know, very risky. Uh, you got to make sure you're exhaling every time you go up or your lungs are going to blow. Uh, but I was had a lot of fun hanging out with my dad. And we were spearfishing flounder, uh, which is always a good feed. And he got into trouble. I was on the surface and uh, I was watching him from the surface between diving down and he was chasing on big flounder that was actually being hunted by what we call dogfish, which are terribly ugly things. Yeah. They looked like an eel with a head. They do. And uh, it was really a race to see who was going to get this run to the dog fishing oh. dad. Oh. And then all of a sudden, he started making an emergency ascent. And fast forward, he got to the surface. At first, I didn't think there was anything wrong. He'd made a, a controlled ascent. You know, being a diver today, like looking back on it, there was nothing that would have alarmed me the net. Okay. Uh He exhaled the whole way up. But when he got to the surface, there, you could tell something was wrong. But my dad was uh, as always joking, always carrying on, as do I. And, uh, But I knew something was wrong when he grabbed my mask and snapped it off my face, and he started blowing around. But bear in mind, we're not in the Bahamas; we're in the North Atlantic. On a calm day, a normal day is a one to two meter swell, which is a four to six foot wave that just keeps rolling gently past. And so, very quickly, Dad went over the crest of a wave while I was trying to clear my mask and figure out what was going on. Um, I'd even said to him, "Stop effing around." Right, right. Because I, I was like, "What's, what's like?" Yeah, yeah. You know, I freaking it. out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And um, and when I came back over the wave, my dad was gone. Yeah. There was some gear on the surface, a glove, the catch bag with the flounders trying to swim. Uh, the spear was floating there, and uh, so very a boat nearby? nearby. No, no, you would wait it out from the shore. Yeah, well, we're not oh, Yeah, sure. Right? right. Uh, you know, we're probably we're in thirty feet of water. We're probably. Thirty feet from the rocks, but as you saw yesterday, oh man, being thirty feet from the rocks in Nova Scotia means nothing because those ones are like oil. Yeah, yeah, they're greased from the tide and all the kelp and seaweed. So it is not. It doesn't matter. It's It's not. not You're not climbing on. No, No. and nobody else is there. No, right? It's just the two of you out there. Yeah, mom and my younger sister. are on the beach. Yeah, but that's like four or five hundred people with forever away at this yeah. point yeah and so um so i looked down and uh dad's about halfway down starfish regulator not in his mouth just jelly floating bubbles floating free flow from the regulator and i'm like holy smokes yeah he's, a, he's actually in trouble yeah so i dove down grabbed him. i won't get into the details but what ensued was about a 10 minute that seemed like a 10 hour time stood still battle and struggle for me to get my dad to shore keep him on the surface get him get him trouble shot um and i was unsuccessful another diver who had been out diving that we didn't know with a buddy had just enough air I left that he was able to throw his gear back on and he ran back out uh, retrieved dad along with me you know we'd uh, done some failed attempts with a fisherman and a dory and i won't even tell you yeah. we're doing to try and recover him because it's yeah. not pg i rate it and uh, we got him to the beach, and and we lost. I yeah. lost my dad.
1: And so, you are 15 years old, right?
0: I just turned 15. It's the week after Father's Day, June 22nd, 1991, and I'm fatherless, and uh, and it's my fault.
1: Yeah, you think?
0: Or my mom is on the shore watching this because she doesn't have a wetsuit on and she can't dive in because she would go into hypothermia. It's her fault. Like our whole family owned the mistake. Um, are like this is on us yeah which is you uh, so want to talk about that's about, how we're to talk about fracturing this. a sailor quickly Ooh, man and so um uh, so you know obviously i can remember getting to the emergency room and they worked on them and they've not been able to save them and Ugh. i asked the doctors and my mom if i could see dad one last time and i remember walking into the emergency room you know and you could tell it's just been a you know a lot of people trying right. to assassinate this man right and uh, and I just laid across his very cold blue body at that point with you know injuries on it from our attempts to retrieve him, you know because we're fighting the tide. The tide right. was No, not yet. Yeah, no. And uh, and I just said, God, take anything, but don't take my dad. So, um, that was it, Man. And you know, Psalm 22, uh, Jesus quotes when he's on the cross, and he says. Abba, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. the opening line of song. Yeah. You read the rest of Psalm 22. It's prophetic. It literally describes Christ's crucifixion. Even in his last words, he said, why? Yeah. And I'll quote it scripture to scripture. Yeah. And, you know, I'm 15 years old and from 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, what's my question? Why? 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 So needless to say, I walked away from my faith, although it was not instantaneous. Like I, I genuinely wanted to pursue God. Right. But I wasn't spiritually mature, and I didn't have enough spiritual maturity around me to father me towards that. How to do, I do that? An I needed answer. it, but I needed an answer. But you didn't know how to. And the, the, the thing is, is I didn't know the question. Right. The question wasn't why, because that's the world we live in. All right. It's a fallen world. Right. You know, death came into this world without a meeting. Yeah. Uh, God's appointed every one of our times. So the real question, obviously, later in life, um, after I became a Christian at thirty-four. Mm-hmm. Right ending under theology, yeah, uh, Baptist. what's yes, it, sure. yeah, but for me, it was thirty four was like, yeah, uh, the renewal thing. or the and or the um, and I realized what I'd been asking for twenty years was the wrong question, mm. and the question should have been, what is it you want me to learn from this, what is it you want me wow. to take away from this tragedy of my life, and all the tragedies that ensued after that, living a life separated from God, and so uh so fast forward to today, uh, my prayer life now is, okay, if I'm going to serve my father in heaven, yeah. and I've certainly learned what it's like to have a heavenly father in these years, the question when difficulty arrives, and I had not had my shortage of it, like I couch surf, I lived in my car, Like my mom had remarried, life wasn't good on the home front, I planted trees in Western Canada, I started my landscaping company, I joined the Canadian artillery. I literally had the Richard Gere moment. I got no place to go to a Canadian Dragoon, a washout, wow. Wow. came first to my class in the ROTP military uh, training. And, um, and I really got hard of spirit where I was like, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. I went from landing my car to you know, be a very successful business by the time I was 26 in the wake of you know doing my finance and accounting degree, which by the grace of God, somehow I got. I don't know how I didn't end up in jail. Or in some kind of addictive behavior uh, other than work, I became workaholic, yeah. which we could talk about. But really, I got to a place where, as I grew up in my spiritual maturity in my thirties and into my forties, it's like, okay, this is it—like spiritual warfare. If you're going to step out for God, if you're going to be one of His, you got to recognize that life is not fair. Like the Bible says, "It rains on the just and the unjust alike." The only difference is—is is do we go it alone or do we go with Him? Yeah. And we have to recognize that he doesn't, like, literally, the day after my dad died, I was trying to open to Psalms, Jeff, to give a song, right? Yeah. You know, I knew enough to know that. Yeah. I opened to Lamentations. Wow. Lamentations 3, I opened to, and I looked down, Lamentations three thirty-one to 33, it says, For God does not willingly bring affliction or trials to mm. men. So great is his love. He will show compassion. Mm. And it was like, the Lord was saying to me, John, that, you're not even you're not even ready to understand the scripture, mm-hmm. but there's going to come a day where the scripture didn't mean so much to you. Wow. And boy, does it ever mean no. a lot to me today. So, so yeah, that, that really framed up my adulthood and my worldview and my view of God. And I'd love to say that I didn't spend 20 years separate from them, but I did. I wandered and I went my own way. It came at cost. I got married, got divorced. You know, my ex had an affair. You know, and I had to raise my kids in the wake of that with with two very different worldviews because I had become a Christian. Yeah. And so there's this, you know, God centered parenting worldview versus child centered parenting worldview. Thank God he sent Sarah into my life, uh, who I have the privilege of leading to Christ. Yeah. And now we wow. have our 10th wedding anniversary. She loves the Lord and she's been like the antithesis of a Disney stepmom. Like she's loved these girls, like they're her own. But that's, that's really the, the journey. And then it's like, and then, oh, yeah. That still gave me this entrepreneurial vigor. And so I carried on my dad's company name. I literally walked to the registry of joint stock when I was 16, 17, 18 and paid the $75 to keep the esport name, which today still exists.
1: I mean, yeah. this is one of a story. And it's interesting on this podcast. And of course, I got to meet Sarah last night for the first time, which was mm-hmm. an absolute treat. Uh, she's everything uh, you advertised, yeah. uh, an amazing woman. And, uh, but, you know, one of the things that often happens we're having this discussion is that sometimes people aren't direct as they tell their story, we can kind of hear a string of how things are connected in their life mm-hmm. that sometimes they're not aware of because sometimes
0: they're a little subtle. You know? Or you can't see it till you look back until you look a back, a climber and a hiker. Right. It's like you're like I'm not being a progress. progress. Yeah, then you look back and you wow, down Christ. like wow yeah. uh, way better. Yeah, uh, Robert Beeson said to me two years ago, he's that solo parent, he's on our board for Fathers for Fathers. I know you want to talk about that, but he said, Jonathan, there's a diviner to your life if you trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also realized, like, David, you also have to own your sin. I think we've got this victim mindset in our society where it's like, God's not delivering me. <laughs> like, you gotta own the fact that you walked away from him. Like I walked away from God. Mm-hmm. I side of the Rocky Mountains, plant trees. Uh, when I was, you know, 20 years old, I waved my fist and said, Leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. So, like a loving father, he respected that spirit. Well, I said, Okay, try it on your own for a bit. Yeah. Right. Well, what I can tell you is when I ran back to him, he said, It was Luke 15. It was the prodigal sat. Right. He ran out and he met me okay. and said, John and I have been waiting patiently and lovingly for you. So, so normally, uh, we probably
1: spend, I feel like, 80% of the time in these discussions talking about the business career. And you have actually a storied business career. You are an amazing entrepreneur. You um, built a great team here that I've had the privilege of meeting uh, this week. Yeah. And uh, yeah. frankly, we could spend a whole hour just on that piece of it But yeah. because we have limited time. And I think- That could be part two. It really is part two. Uh, uh, we should do that. But yeah, there's just- you have such a unique story in that string for the rest of us. For of course, while you're experiencing this trauma, you have no idea where it's going. It's your point of looking back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But now, you know, uh, in your mid 40s, you're able to kind of look back and see how this has played out. So let's talk about fathers for fathers because, sure. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, oftentimes when people get stuck on giving. You know one of the things we always talk about is well what has blessed you or where have you struggled or you know if somebody's had a, a problem with cancer well do you feel called to yeah, how do you find purpose how you do fight. you it's in a, how do you take your yeah. what about and the why and the yeah. pain you've been through yeah to help other people experience healing and in the process might you continue to experience healing Good. So yeah talk about how fathers for fathers came about. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah, I would say track the narrative on this for yourself as you're maybe taking notes or searching through this to the listeners. Um, going back to what I said about there's a divine art, you know, if we're really going to trust the Lord for our life and we know that we're living in a fallen world where, where it's not going to be a cakewalk. Yeah. We got to move from why to what. So good. such knowing that really God's already demonstrated his our, his love for us yeah. by setting us apart for eternity. So like that's a done deal. Yeah. It's a done deal, man. Yeah. The greatest gift man could ever receive. You got it. Right. Just yes. so now it's just like, okay, so really I just gotta suffer it, the same as my Savior did in this broken fallen world where we know that that there's a ruler of this world and and he's being given free reign and we can all be frustrated. Politics, right. but at the end of the day, everything's happening as exactly as the father in heaven would have it happen. So then the question is, is okay, well, if I'm it's kind of like you're swimming, yeah, stop struggling, right? <laughs> like just like you don't have to be out here in the middle of the ocean. And like, I would love to say that that was my own experience with saving someone from the ocean. But I actually pulled a 14 year old boy wow. out of the water in 2011 and was unsuccessful in saving him. I thought, retrieved retreating to the of family. So I'm used to. Going with the tide and saving your energy, and recognize that you can't fight the tide. or you can do is swim with it. And so, when I started to realize that uh, that my dad, it was his appointed time. I actually think he knew. He, do you know? Like for months before, he went around talking to all his old friends, mm-hmm. spending time with them. Wow. Like there was like this major shift. The morning after Father's Day, I walked out. Going down and deliver my newspapers, he was sitting at his desk crying. My dad never cried. Right. And he gave me a hug and he said I'll love you, which he also never did. That's the only time I ever heard my dad that I can remember right. tell me he loved me, and six days later he was dead. And so I think like, you know, God's got our point in time. Like, like Jeff, you don't it could be today. It could be. It could be today for me. Here's what I know. I know where I'm going and I can't wait to get there. <laughs> but in yeah. the meantime, my only responsibility is to live for him, project him. And bring as many people with me as I can. And so, so I realized that my greatest wound, fatherlessness, the trauma of not just being fatherless, but actually living through it, uh, was also my greatest strength in story. And, so, and here's what I'm going to share with you when you swim with the current on yeah. this. Right? So I'm going to go on just a little tangent. In 2011, I'd been a Christian for eight months, uh, my ex, you know, was pursuing uh, the division of our, our marriage. She, you know, she was broken. And I was like praying, like, Lord, I've moved to her hometown. It's a small community with 10,000 people. I'm from Halifax an hour away. You know, like, I would just as soon be the every other weekend dad and move back to Halifax. Be been a lot of Businesses yeah. where life would be easier. Yeah. But I don't want to do that because I've experienced fatherless snips. And these girls need a dad but so do I. And so I don't have any family here. I don't have any support here. Yeah. If you really want me to stay here, you're going to have to show me a way. And, and to just preface this, in Canada, 80% of divorces, the mom gets 100% custody. 6% it's the dad. 13% it's shared custody. That was what I had. The default would have been, I just would have seen my kids every other week. Getting shared custody was, was not easy. Like I needed to commit to that and I needed the Lord to really say to me, like, this is, this is my purpose. Yes. And so I'm praying right. I'm a new believer, how yeah. do I do? Meanwhile, I'm in a building sharing it with my ex-father, now oh. that we had built together. I'm in this office. It's his building. Right. Um, you know, I'm helping him grow his business. I'm growing my business. This isn't going to work. Right. And I'm praying. And then friends of ours, uh, friends of mine at the time, next town over, only in 1,600 people. Little beautiful Nova Scotia yeah. I Said, look, we got this building. It's called the Old Station. Built 100 years ago. We want to sell it. We want you to buy it. I said, no, I'm not interested. Like, like the last thing I want to do is double down on this region. Right? <laughs> like, I told him, just what it Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, being a new believer, I was reading Judges. You know, because that's what every new believer is. <laughs> right after they read John. And, uh, and I'm, I'm reading this story about this Gideon guy. Yeah. And God says, you know, raise an army. Right. And I'm like, well, God... And it worked for Gideon and I did not read Matthew four yet, where Jesus says, Don't tempt the word that I got. I got to that part yet. Yes. So in my heart, God knows your heart. Right? It was an innocent in heart. Yeah. I said, Lord, if you want me to stay here and I wrote it in my journal, I want to get this building. But I'm going to write a number in this building I'm not going to share it with anybody, including them, and I'm not even going to offer it to them. Yeah. And it's such a ridiculous number. To be very blunt, it's my Gideon fleece that gets me under it, right. So I can. I'm, I'm hoping I, it doesn't, they don't. I accept. don't want you, yeah, so I actually don't want want you so to actually yes, fleece. Right. I want fleece. I'm testing you. I, and I want I, you to say hello. Right because I'm fatherless. Right. And I have no confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And now I, my kids are like, going to be estranged for me. Right. And the kids are like three and two when this happens. So I literally uh, laid on my fleece. Uh, Tony and Heidi, you know, friends of mine, actually, he's, uh, uh, if you watch the Oak Island series, he's the diver in the Oak Island series, good friend today. He's the guy that taught my wife how to dive, Sarah, years later. But he comes to me and he says, Jay, we got this building and we want to sell it for this little three-unit commercial plaza the $400,000, right? And I'm like, well, it's worth every bit of that. Yeah. Ha- have at it. Like, he's. I thought he was asking me for advice. Oh right, right. He's like, no, no, like we want you to stay in the community. We love you, and we can tell like you're up against it here, and we want you to buy the building. And I said no. And meanwhile, I've written down a number, a number. So the number was three hundred fifteen thousand. Okay. Right. So eighty five thousand dollars off the the asking price, or twenty two percent. Right. Big delta. Basically, it was big enough that I thought these guys <laughs> yeah. are out of their mind. They're not going to do it. But I didn't tell them. Right. Fast forward, they uh, surprised me. April 2011, I'm in Ottawa. Stephen Harper, great Christian prime minister, long gone, gets reelected. I get a text the same day I'm up there working. I get a text. I'm sitting with uh, Scott Sadler, our actuary. I haven't met, but he yep. works here. And the text says, Hey, Jay, I can't believe I've convinced Heidi of this. And these guys just kept ratcheting down the price. We'll not use a real estate agent, so we'll make it three. Right, I mean, right. I'm not interested. And long praying, like, this is my fleece. If you want me to stay on the social, if you want me to stay here, and then he literally says, I can't believe Heidi's agreed to this because they were at like 335, which I couldn't believe. Yeah. Like, I'm like, why aren't you trying to sell me this building? Like, anybody would pay 400 for it. Yeah. And I, I, like, I was like, this is, I was starting to get frustrated because right. I thought, is he going to like give me this building and now I got to follow through? Like, I got to move my office. You're there. worried that it might actually happen. Right. <laughs> I thought, I, 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 you know like, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to stay. I want to move back to health. I think like the ridiculous number so it won't happen. Right. <laughs> right. And this is it, by the way. There's no prosperity doctor here. This right. was all about just the heart and like looking for an offering That right. I thought is so impossible. I didn't even know where I got three hundred fifteen. To be honest, this is the number that came yeah. in. My head. So anyway, he says Heidi's agreed to come down to three hundred fifteen thousand dollars yes. if you yes. order yes. to us. But this, this is this is the key. He said, and I'll throw in um, a gold coin from eighteen sixty four with Queen Victoria on it. And then I got s- diving off the SS Atlantic in Sandy Cove. He said, I know you love diving and I know you love wreck diving. And you Nova know, Scotia's got tons of treasure. Uh, so much so that the province actually a couple of years ago said, any treasure that's uh, found off the coast is ours. Yeah. Uh, like s- so many other places. Yeah. Uh, for years, people made a fortune off the coast wow. of Nova Scotia diving for money. And to be honest, they still do. And <laughs> okay, so he thought he was offering me a coin that had some real value, yeah. which it does. Yeah. But what he didn't know was the SS Atlantic in Sandy Cove is the very place my dad and I were diving, June 22nd, 1900 And uh, I wished I'd have thought to bring the coin with me today oh, to show you, gosh. but the coin was in mint condition. The SS Atlantic, if you research it, was down uh, April 1st, 1878. It was uh, the same company that owned the Titanic, the White Star Line. Oh. It was their worst disaster at sea, they were trying to approach Halifax for coal for fuel on their way to New York and uh, missed the approaches to the harbour and slammed right into the rocks south of the city where my dad and I were diving 130 years later. Where then Tony went diving 20 years later, got this coin and then offered it to me as an answer to my prayer with a building for the very price I'd written in my journal. And at that very moment, Jeff, I'm eight months into my walk with Christ as my heavenly father. I'm saying, I can't do this with a, this is the biggest task anybody could ever be asked to, to be a father to these two girls yes. in the wake of a marriage breakdown where I have no whole of advantage, no supply base. Like I'm on my own, on my own. Yeah. And I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he literally said, Jonathan, I was there when some 700 souls lost their lives 130 years ago, Ooh. I was there when you and your dad were in the water struggling. Ooh. And I'm here now. Ooh. And here's what I am I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end. I am your father. The scriptures, Hosea, Psalms, it says, I will be a father to the fatherless and a husband to the husbandless. I've got you. So you go raise these kids. Um. yeah mm. So I was commissioned. It was I was commissioned. And, you know, a year later, or not even a year later, five months later, I met Sarah. I had the privilege of leading her to Christ, and we're coming up on our 10th wedding anniversary. She loves the Lord. And we uh, basically engaged in saying, okay, we're going to co-parent these kids with a God-centered worldview as best as we can in a, a very broken society. Because Canada, as you know and observed, we're about 10 years ahead of the U.S. when it comes to the state of apostasy country, And so it's been, it's been a grind for us. But God has seen us through and never stopped seeing us through. I mean, so, fathers for fathers. Yes. Yeah. Or not. You got to share that. So, yeah. So, how do you these, share that? Oh Yeah. So, then Amen. last summer, 20, summer of 2022, we got teenage girls now. Yeah. And like teenage girls with two different worldviews. Yeah. You know, they basically said for the season, hey, like, we don't really like your worldview. You like mom's worldview. Yeah. And so we're battling through this, but we've been, for the most part, estranged from the kids during this season, and it's been crushing. Because of course, think about it. I go back to my prayer closet and I say, God, why'd you keep me here? Yeah, what was with the coin? What was with 2011? If in 2022 you're going to abandon me, and these these kids are going to choose to to walk away from you and everything that...
1: So look, it me. sounds to me like you're asking why of you
0: exactly. Thank you. I was asking why because I'm in a state of crisis again, and yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I was spotless, not by choice. And now the kids are choosing fatherless. Yeah. I don't get it. Right. I don't get, I don't get where, how you're glorifying this. I remember my prayer, like it was like Elijah, you know, after he took on the prophets of Baal. I was like, I'm so tired and done everything you've asked me to do. Right. And now, you know, like you're giving me up. Come on, with slaughter. Come on. And in my prayer was never mind how I feel. How are you glorified? Right. Right. That like you say, I will work for get you know, all things for those who love me for my glory. Well, but the glory part is the important part. Him being glorified when we recognize this is the eternal vow that's already won. Right. So April of twenty twenty three, I'm hiking in North Carolina with sixteen other guides, which is on the video that, you know, launches fathers and fathers. And I'm praying the whole weekend, I'm pouring into these guys, praying with them. You know, I've got some spiritual maturity now. Mm-hmm. These guys, some of these guys are young guys that, you know, got porn issues. Their wives are cheating on them. They don't know what to do. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I a train wreck. From but the Lord's movement, right? Yeah. And we get to the last day. We're almost out of the woods. I didn't know this. We're like the last 100 meters of trail. So I don't know what that's to be. Yeah. 40 feet. I can't see the cars, but we're almost to them. Yeah. And I start to grumble. Lord, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you bring me out here with these guys. I spend the whole weekend pouring into them. But I'm like, I'm in the hell, living hell here. Right. And I was really hoping to hear from you this weekend, but I haven't heard from you. And you're my dad. Mm-hmm. And he literally said, John, that <laughs> you're doing exactly what I've equipped you to do. Right. You're a fisher of men. And these men are broken. Some of them are fatherless. Some of them don't know how to be fathers. Some of them don't even understand they're in a battle for their families. They, they don't understand Ephesians, what it means to be submitted to your wives to the point where you would die for them. As I said in Ephesians through Paul. You're where I want you. Now keep doing it. Like I, You're being commissioned right now to be a fishery of men, to be a father for fathers. And so I got off the mountain and we went to the generous giving conference mm. in Arizona. Right. And for a week, I drank through a firehouse. Yeah. There were like pages of pages of pages of a journal. And God basically said, this is your ministry. Mm. I've equipped you and it's been hard. Yeah. You watched your dad drown. You fought desperately to drag him to a beach. You dragged a 15-year-old boy to the beach while his father sat on the beach and right. And you delivered that, that young boy up to his dad. You watched your wife walk away from, from a marriage and the unthinkable happened to you where your family was divided, which was like the worst thing that could ever happen right. to you. You obeyed me and you stayed where you were and I put you all those years. I taught you how not to fight, yeah. right? Because you were fighting in the flesh a lot of time. Yeah. I taught you how to fight on your knees. I taught you how to have grace. I taught you forgiveness. Tell you how to forget, because you didn't know how. Like, I've, I've been equipping you, and now, Jonathan, you're ready. Yeah, You're ready to be a fisher of men. Yeah. Now, go. Yeah. And so, basically, fathers for fathers this year was born out of the clarity of, we've got 40 million men in North America who are failing at being dads, failing at being husbands, failing at being cornerstones in the church. And it's because they don't know how. Yeah, and so uh, Fathers for Fathers really is a ministry where we're going to be a flag there for the men by being vulnerable and real and transparent and getting men to share their stories, not live in shame and regret, not uh, withdraw because that's what men do, but actually pour into and draw near to their Heavenly Father and learn how to be good earthly fathers for those that they love, and that's that's the mission.
1: And Jonathan, I um, can't thank you enough for sharing your story and the vulnerability. And sometimes when we're uh, doing these uh, conversations, we, we try to have people say, hey, share a setback all the way. Uh, and some people are uncomfortable uh, maybe doing so. And I think the, your ability to kind of lead with a limp, if you will, tell your own story vulnerably is kind of one of your uh, God-given superpowers. And so thanks for sharing that with us. The way we normally close this podcast is with a question for somebody who's behind you on the journey. Yeah, I generally think of it as a business person. You know, this is yeah. a generous business owner yeah. podcast. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we have, a lot of times, very successful people on this podcast and they sort of look like it, it was easy. It's all together. They got it all figured out. Yeah. And at the end of it, and you're not expressing that, but yeah. but you are expressing a lot of this deep story, this deep well. I'm just picturing somebody listening to this on the treadmill or in the car, or yeah, wherever they are. Yeah, and they're f- having this feeling as a father or fatherless. They, they, they are stuck. I know who it is. What do you say to them? It's just simple steps. You know
0: what I mean? Like a, yeah, a simple. My, my coping step. mechanism, having learned it from my dad, was work. Yeah, I didn't fall into drugs. I didn't fall into alcohol. I became a workaholic. I worked two or three jobs in high school. I refused to let uh, the 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 narrative uh, be what the world was pushing on me. I was gonna I was gonna be the author. Yeah, you know, my wife calls it the old choose choose your own adventure books. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was like reading ahead in the adventure book, and then I was picking the adventure that I would run. It. Right. Right. right? We'll um, yeah. And so, for those of you that are business leaders, because I know that's the target audience here, there was something I discovered very painfully and at great cost. I became uh, an addict also, but it wasn't to alcohol or drugs or food or exercise or travel. I became addicted to work. Work became a coping mechanism for me because we had no money. I had no money. I didn't know I was going to get in university. So I thought, okay, I've learned this great work ethic from my right. dad, but he was a workaholic. right? And I'm just going to double down on it. Yeah. And so it was nothing for me to work seven days a week. 10, 12 hours a day for decades. Yeah, Like if you knew Jonathan Lewis, you only knew him in a work context. I had no social life, no activities, no friends. I worked because when I was working, I didn't have to deal with my pain. I didn't have to confront it. Yeah. I didn't have to deal with the shame or the regret or the guilt. So here's the problem. Apart from God, it's disastrous. It's destructive. Yeah. And so there's guys and gals listening that maybe the world would tell you, especially in American culture, that it's real success, right? Right? We celebrate it. It's a right. look at this day. It's right. self-made, right? Right? But here's the problem: the Bible says that God doesn't build the house; we labor in vain, right? So I was building my own house on a, on sand, as the Bible says, and guess what happened? The storms came, and my house blew away. And God in his graciousness rebuilt that hopes. But what I would say is if you've fallen into addictive behaviors where work has become celebrated and it's an idol and you're telling yourself it's because you love your family and then your family's becoming an idol to you because it's like, well, I'm working for them. And so you got to really get to the root issue of what are the idols in your life? And we need to confess that and get real with the Lord. And say i give this back to you it's not mine and and that's what the lord took me on in a journey was okay your family's an idol you were so desperate to have one but they don't belong to you the kids belong to me i love them more than you love. that's a hard pill to swallow for a guy who's already experienced father so i don't know who's listening but i'm willing to bet there's somebody this is resonating and then he went after my business because our, our lord loves us not to strip us up every idol. And so in 2018, he introduced me to in Kingdom Advisors, and he said, your business is an idol, it's your identity, give it to me, it's not yours, it's mine. And that's when esports changed. And that's why you and I are here. Yeah, We, wouldn't be, we would have never met no. if I hadn't sat on a beach in Mexico in April of 2018 and wrote in the journal, that same journal again, it's not mine, it's yours, and I submit to your authority. So my prayer for you is that you would submit to his authority in all aspects of your life, give up your idols, Confess them. Confess them to friends. Like there's no better way than to say, "This is not mine," and confess it to someone and have accountability. Men need mutual accountability. If you are living in isolation, holding those cards close, I don't care what it is—if you're porn or alcohol, whatever it is—it's got to get flushed out. And until it's out in the open, it's going to dog you to the day you die, and you will never, 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 ever know what God's real purpose is for your life because you're holding on to it in your heart, and it's like Cain and Abel. He he loves a cheerful, giving heart and a heart that's completely and utterly given over to him. Nothing else will do for our father. Nothing. And that's my call to action.
1: Hey, let's be aware and confess our little G-gods are yeah. coming before him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I've had them too, yeah. and, the, and I still try to release them, so I'm, I'm right there with will you. will take them back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We got our signature SIM. Yeah, uh, so.
0: we'll take them back.
1: Well, anyway, John, thank you for being with us you today, got and, and yeah. uh, thank everybody for joining us on this week's yeah. Generous Business Owner podcast. Go to generousbusinessowner.com, sign up for our newsletter, share the podcast with your friends, and uh, we will see you next week.
0: And as we say in Canada or Eastern Canada, this is right, Something Goodbye. (laughs) No idea what that means. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.